This is episode 713 with mental performance expert Jay Toft. Welcome to Athlete Maestro, a podcast tailored for athlete development, improvement, and peak performance. And now, here's your host. Now, the goal of every athlete clearly is to achieve success in their sport, to be the best athlete they can be, win medals, win accolades, and many of those things. Now, if there's anything that is going to derail that achievement, it's usually pressure, anxiety, stress, your inability to train properly. It's always one of those negative things because obviously a positive thing would never sink the ship. That's why I'm excited for you guys to hear this episode with Jay Toft. You see, when uh, mental performance experts talk about pressure or stress or about the negative things that prevent you from really achieving your best, very rarely do you see them take it from a completely different angle you know so they might tell you look you need to calm down you need to relax you need to calm your nerves and things like that but when you hear from a guy who kind of delves deeper just as jay did in this episode in talking about identity so let's define pressure Let's link that to your identity, how you see yourself, how the world sees you, you know, and then let's now begin to find those solutions. Then you know that that guy knows exactly what they are talking about. Jay Toft is a mental performance expert. He is the founder of Perk Performance Excellence Recovery Consulting. Of course, he has an MA in sports and performance psychology i thoroughly enjoyed this episode and of course when i checked jay out watched some of his videos i knew that it was a conversation that i was going to enjoy and of course if i enjoyed that conversation then it means that you guys are absolutely going to love it as well myself and jay went deep you know we talked about athletes you know and how when it gets to the point you are at a disadvantage how do you capitalize on that or how do you make the most of it you know so you're not getting sponsored you're fending for yourself you're doing all those things on your own how do you overcome that challenge we talked about building self-awareness we talked about dealing with pressure just like i said we talked about situations where you the athlete put pressure on yourself how do you deal with that and of course we went into identity how does your identity affect your athletic performance as an athlete we talked about parents in terms of developing your child athlete trust me man it's as rich an episode as you are going to get you're thoroughly thoroughly going to enjoy this This episode guys is brought to you by my athlete maestro daily planner now of course whilst you're working on all these mental things one of the key things you also need to do is to be maximizing your day ensuring that your day is well planned out you're working on the right things at the right time and you're properly reflecting on how your day has gone head over to athletemaestro.com forward slash daily planner athletemaestro.com forward slash daily planner to get your hands on the athlete maestro daily planner because when you're done with that come and enjoy this episode with my friend jay top spent some time at the u.s olympic training center in colorado you know so obviously you know it's not i mean if you spend time at an olympic training center it's not like you're just there passing the time playing around Mm -hmm. you know and things like that what what was that experience like 
being around that the was and being the i mean it was for i mean i'm sure no surprise to anybody listening but it was it was an incredible experience i mean i think not just being there around the athletes <clears throat> but also to be able to be around some of the some of the best minds in sport performance specifically you know some of the best minds in sports psychology and that was an opportunity that i had you know while i was finishing up my master's degree so it was a, it was a pretty transformative two years um, when i was down there we were prepping for rio in mm. 2016 because the the training site in colorado springs is actually a summer olympic training site so it is you know, so usa swimming's house they're wrestling shooting there's a few other a few other sports that are that are based out of there but it was it was amazing and, and not just not only just to be around some of those high level athletes but really just some of the best minds in sport and to be able to pick their brains and to learn from them and to see how they operate um no it was truly truly transformative for me in my career was there anything different, you know, we, for the average athletes, or let me, let me use the amateur athletes, right? We have this um, idea of what it's like you know, to be an elite athlete. You know, mm. you have this idea of what it's like to be an Olympian, because I mean, come on, you've been seeing these guys on TV for so long. Is there anything different, you know, because you have been close up, you're not reading yeah. it in the papers, you're not hearing a secondhand experience from somebody else. You have been close up with them. What are those athletes like, those Olympians preparing to go to the Olympics? Yeah, you know, I think, I think the thing that jumped out to me was just the environment that was a United States Olympic Training Center. And truly, the pressure, truly, it is a very... You know, it's not exactly a warm and fuzzy, warm and fuzzy place down there. You know, it is, it is a very performance results-oriented, you know, environment. And that is can be very taxing and you know these are you know yes while these are athletes at you know some of the some of the highest levels of their respective sport they're also still many of them still developing as people you know mm. the uh you know the, the gymnasts that we work with and the swimmers that we work with i mean these are just still very much developing human beings um and not not only just remarkably high level athletes and i think so that was the first part is just the the environment that is created down there specifically in that, you know, based on how well an individual athlete does as a tryout or at a certain, you know, uh, you know, event overseas or whatever it may be, you know, their national governing body, which so like, for example, USA swimming is a, is a national governing body in mm. NGB for, for short USA wrestling is their own NGB. Now, you know, depending on how well you do at a, at a pre or a qualifying event or whatever it may be, your NGB may deem you as somebody who has more or less metal potential. Mm. And metal potential is directly e equated to what kind of privileges you get when you're at the training center. So for example, not all athletes are created are treated equally down there. They're truly treated, you know, cause there's only a finite number of resources. Mm. And so for example, if your metal potential is very high, then you get access to, I mean, basically the world is your oyster down there. You get access to the medical staff, you get access to sports psychology, you get access to the psychophysiology work that we did, um, strength and conditioning, just your, your room and board is taken care of. You know, sometimes you might have a place that they're paying for off campus. So you have a little bit more privacy, that sort of thing. Whereas if you're somebody who's maybe not as highly touted or not as deemed capable of winning a medal, you might just have your food and your exercise taken care of. And there are, I mean, I think it would surprise some, you know, many people just how many Olympic athletes also had part-time jobs or full-time jobs. And they were also Olympians on the side. So it's a very, 
dynamic environment. It's a very rugged environment. Um, and yeah, and then I think just at like an individual level, I think I'll just go back to it's like, you know, these are just remarkably, remarkably talented, talented individuals, um, but they're also still developing as people and they're navigating, you know, developing and becoming their own person while also being this remarkably high level athlete. And yeah. it can be taxing. It can be very challenging in a, in a multitude of ways um, down there. But yeah, quite the place, I would say. Mm. That's that's the thing when you when you talk to experts, you know, they, they give you a lot to work with and you have mentioned so many things you know, that, that, that we can work with in, in this our conversation, which of course I'm sure would benefit so many athletes who are listening to us. Now you've mentioned the athletes, right? I was going to ask you something else completely, but you know, I have to pick up on this. The athletes who are, you know, not necessarily getting that extended support, like the ones that are medal hopefuls. Now there are two things that come from this. Now in working with those type of athletes, so you, you know, as the mental performance expert who is trying to prepare this athlete for a competition, the Olympic games, a tournament, you know, whichever one it is generally. And then you have the subset of those athletes who feel like just because they are not getting that wide range of mm. support from their, you know, governing federation, governing body or whatever it is, that places them at a disadvantage. And the point I'm getting at Jay is that you're going to see athletes who they feel like if they were in other situations, they would do better, but it's because of where mm. I am now that I'm not doing better. But the point is, there's something that got you to where you are now and mm -hmm. not where those other people are. How do you work with those type of athletes? How do you advise them? How do you point them in the right direction? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that really boils down to, you know, because like while it is an environment like that, it, it very much is a meritocracy. I mean, mm. everything is measured. Everything is, you know, there there is no question whether or not this person is faster than you, let's say, in swimming, like the, the stopwatch doesn't lie, that sort yeah. of thing. So really, I mean, the the mindset that you work with with those individuals that are just kind of on the up and coming is really the the same mindset that I work with the develop a lot of the developing athletes that I work with now is, you know, effectively what is in your control. And I think that's an environment down there where you can get so caught up in the multitude of things that are just so far outside of your control. Cause like, I mean, down there, you can't control what your organization thinks of you. You can't control what your, what your teammates do who are also at times like your competition. Um, it truly is. A, it's truly, you know, from a true mindset standpoint, which, you know, to clarify a mindset is really nothing more than the patterned way that we think it's our thought habits. You know, do you have the thought habit of allowing all those things that are inherently outside of your control to negatively impact you, to impact the actions that you take or to impact, maybe some of the things that you don't do, maybe you don't mm. work as hard or you allow it to sap away at your motivation or whatever it may be. So I think it's, I think it's acutely or it's, it's intrinsically tied to this ability to be self-aware and to recognize in, in that specific individual, what is the effect that this environment is having on you? Because really self-awareness is, is really nothing more than understanding how our environment or how the world around us is impacting us, but also how we're impacting our world around us. And so it really goes down to, you know, do you have the self-awareness to be able to recognize that maybe you're in this case trying to, or allowing things that are outside of your control to have a negative impact on you. And that's where, you know, and, and one of the reasons why I was so excited to come on this, this conversation with you is, you know, obviously the work that you do and the work that I do is, you know, when you're around these very high level athletes and these high level performers, many of the concepts or the principles or the teachings that apply to these really high level athletes 
apply to any athlete or performer or person mm-hmm. who is trying to go from a version of themselves that they are to the version of themselves that we want to be. Because we talk about, you know, I, I'm sure that's no surprise. Yeah, I know you've touched on it too, like this element of control and, and placing control on what on what you can control. But it's it's many times it's easier said than done. And sometimes people don't even realize it. You know, they can't even take the step to be able to recognize that. I'm actually allowing the things that are outside of my control to have this unproductive impact on me. Good point. Good point. I see. Like I said, it's it, it makes so much sense the way you have articulated it, you know, and the way you have put it up. Because you know, talking about that self awareness. So I saw the video, you know, on um, Yanis that you that you mm. posted. You know, I think yeah. I think it was when when they won the NBA finals. Yep. You know, and th- there's currently a mentorship program that I'm organizing for teenagers, you know, which, you know, I take them through, you know, ju- just mentoring them. And you use, you see, that's, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on the podcast as well. You used the name of that bootcamp. So you said, not in that Yanis video, right? You said, <coughs> we are more than athletes. And mm. that's actually the name of the bootcamp. I don't know if you remember that video where you were talking about, you know, athletes being more than athletes. So I can't remember if you're yeah. talking about, you know, dealing with pressure or, or, or yes. something or... Um, I think it was, yeah, yeah. I think it was pressure. You know, I think it was pressure. It was pressure. Yeah. The that, that performing under pressure series. Performing under pressure the, or something yeah. like that. And yeah. that's the name of that bootcamp. More than an athlete, because you know we yep. always think that athletes <clears throat> and all that. But 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 that's aside. So in that Yanis video, you know, where he was talking about the past, the present, the future. You know, his ego, humility. You know, and pride mm. and, and and all of that. You know, it made so much sense. And of course, it came back to self awareness, which you have mentioned mm-hmm. again. How do athletes, it's easy for you and I to say, right? For sure, but we're talking, for sure. we're, we're talking to the athlete now who is, you know, that up and comer, that guy who knows that, you know, I, I need something extra to get me to the next level. You know, I can't just keep training, putting yeah. in the ad hours. You know, I go online, I find this conversation between Tola and Jay, you know, in discussing many of these mental performance things, you know, and it comes to self-awareness. How can an athlete like that start being more self-aware of what exactly is self-awareness sure yeah Um, one word reflection and i think Mm -hmm. reflection and the ability to reflect is something that is really taken for granted and something that we don't do not just athletes or performers but we don't do as people Mm -hmm. you know nearly well enough and specifically what needs to be reflected on or what i spend a lot of time with my athletes especially when we first start out working together is the ability to reflect on certainly when are we at our best and what does that look like mentally and physically, but also in the times where we really struggle in the times where, you know, the, the train has come off the tracks and it's a big mess and we have kind of, you know, crashed or choked or whatever it is in these moments, 95% of the athletes that I, that, that I know that I've met when they have one of those really just catastrophic performances they do everything in their power to get away from it, which mm. means mentally get away from it as well. They don't want to think about it. They want to move on, like onto the next one as fast as we can. And it's not until we're able to take a step back, certainly not right after the performance when we're all emotionally charged and we can't be objective anyway, but more so to be able to take a step back after the performance, mm. you know, maybe the next day when we've been able to come down a little bit emotionally and we're able to be fundamentally more objective. And then at that point, can we just ask ourselves what happened, what went wrong? And I think it's fascinating that you bring up that Giannis video because, you know, Giannis for, you know, he's never been somebody who was, you know, physically challenged in his sport. I mean, his nickname yeah. is the Greek freak after yeah. all, right? Like <laughs> he physically, 
you know, just physically, just remarkably gifted, but it wasn't really an, you know, he, he talks about, and the reason why I found what he said so powerful is he was able to recognize that there were times when he would suck and he would have to then, and it wasn't until he asked himself, why did I suck today? What went wrong? Mm. And what he found, as you alluded to, and as, I, as he talked about so eloquently, I thought he just did a fantastic job with that interview. But as he talked about so eloquently, as he said, you know, my ego would, would take over when I allowed my ego or my pride to take over. That would take me out of the moment. It would take me into the past because I'm just kind of ooh rah rah in my performance, my, yeah. the previous performance. Well, that would actually set me up to perform poorly in the next one. He doesn't ever come to that realization unless he's able to, after one of those really crappy performances, to be able to then ask himself, what was different today? Mm. Where was my mind at mentally? And at some point, you know, and I, in, I'm actually not sure if he has like a sports psychologist that he works for at the Bucks do or I, not. I'm but sure he has to. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure there's somebody in his camp, or you know, somebody kind of sat down with him. But or it very well could just be him maturing as an individual and as a player. Um, but at some point, he took a step back and said, "What is going on here in these crappy performances?" And he found a theme. Hmm. Right. And that's really what we try and look for when, you know, in the work that you do and the work that I do with my athletes is we're looking for themes. What is the, what are some of the few common reasons why some of these things, when we struggle, why do they happen? Why do some of these really poor performances happen? And he was able to recognize that. Hmm. And it wasn't until he was able to have the awareness around it that now he can then course correct. But it all started with his ability to reflect on some of those performances that maybe didn't go the way that he wanted them to. Mm. Why do you think athletes struggle with this? Because, you know, it, it, it seems basic, you know, at the basic level that, look, you finish a performance, let's review it, right? Let's look at yeah. what went wrong, you know, what went well. If you find the things that went well, why did they go well? You know, so that you can replicate it. You find the things yeah. that didn't go well, you know, let's figure out why they didn't go well so you know how to avoid it. If it's that easy, why is it that a lot of athletes stay away from that or, as you say, you know, just try to run away from it? Well, I think it's twofold. I think part of it is just the lack of resource and the lack of understanding. I think that, you know, mm. there's very few athletes that like, as they're coming up as athletes, they're not really conditioned to think that way. They're not conditioned to see that as like part of a process. Athletes are very quick to, and I think you developing sport in the world of youth sport and developing sport much to this point, they really focus on three of the four areas of development, right? So the four areas of athletic development are physical development, technical development, tactical development, and then of course, mental development. Well, the first three, the world of developing sport takes very, very seriously. Mm. And many times I think the mental side is, is still in some senses like, well, either you have it or you don't. And, the, and there's not, you know, it's not necessarily widespread to think that a lot of that stuff is trainable. Um, so I think it's just a pro I think part of it is just a product of how athletes have been quote unquote raised or conditioned to think about their performance or think about their sport. I think the other side of it is it is a very vulnerable process. Mm. Reflection is a very vulnerable process, you know, to be able to, you know, like I said, I mean, the majority of people after a bad performance will immediately try and get as far and as fast away from that situation as they can mentally because it's an assault on pride and mm. ego and identity. And with that, when that happens, then we don't end up learning from those situations. So it's actually a very vulnerable thing to be able to go back to times where you were awful 
in these in, in this thing that you love and that you hold so near and dear to your heart, it's actually a very vulnerable process to go back and to say, what did I do wrong? You know, and I think there are other ways people combat that, you know, whether it's blame or lack of accountability or just a few other things that may get in the way of it. So I think there's a few barriers to it, but I think it generally falls into one of those two buckets, either a, they haven't been brought up um, in a way that says like, this is an important part of the process mentally um, and, or B it's just not a fun thing to do. It just isn't, it, it isn't necessarily an enjoyable experience. Mm. I, like, I love how you've mentioned, you know, th- those four things, which are extremely key. You know, so you have that physical angle, you have the technical angle, you have the tactical angle, and of course, you have that mental angle. You know, you've mentioned that the three, the first three, you know, it, it's kind of there for everyone to see. Everyone always abandons yeah. that four. Now, what do you say to the athlete? Because, you know, I've had athletes in the past, you know, athletes who listen to the podcast or, or whichever one it is, where... You know, you articulate these four aspects to them, right? You talk about the physical, the technical, you talk about the tactical, you know, and when you come to that mental as, you know, so physically, you know, they're like specimens, right? Right, bigger, faster, stronger. Exactly. You know, they have all of that thing. You know, the technical aspect, you are sometimes amazed that someone who has the physical specimen that they have, you know, can Mm -hmm. execute technically, you know, setting things in their sport. And then when it now comes to that tactical angle, they have it as well, but yet they struggle. When you tell them, right, and you try to help them understand that you're missing that fourth leg, you know, it's just like a stool mm-hmm. or a table, yeah. right, that yeah. has that is supposed to have four legs, has yeah. only three legs. You know, that thing is going to wobble a little bit here yep. and there. And they live in self-denial in the sense that, nah, can't be the mental game. Like, you, right. you yourself right. have said it. I have these three sorted. You know, it has to be something else. What do you say to athletes like that? Yeah. I mean, the, I think what I say to those athletes is let's, let's be very clear about what the role of the mental game is Mm. the the role of the mental side, right? Because it's very clear. I think to many athletes, what the role of the other three areas of development are right. Physically bigger, faster, stronger, more powerful, more explosive. Um, Technically, you know, it's basically how polished or how refined are the motor movements that we need. So a golfer swing, a basketball player shot a, a football field goal kickers kicking motion. Right. Um, very apparent why we train those. Right? And, and so, and then, you know, tactically is really all about like game IQ, understanding the strategy, understanding what adjustments need to be made. And so I think part of it is we have a very clear or athletes have a very clear picture of what the purpose of training physically is, what the purpose of training technically and tactically are. But mm. then when I, and I will ask groups of athletes, what's the point of training mentally? And I'll generally get something to the effect of, well, I want to be more confident. Well, why? Why is that important? What's what's the point of confidence? Um, So that way I can focus better. Okay, great. What's the point of focus? And so here's the way that I frame it up for them. The point of the mental game, the purpose of the mental side of your sport is to be able to, in the face of stress and pressure and adversity that comes with competition, in the face of those things, the mental side is there to help you get the most out of the physical, the technical, and the tactical Mm. sides of your sport. It's Mm. kind of this insurance policy. The mental side is never going to replace the physical, the technical, or the tactical. But 
the mental side of the sport is, you know, we don't train the mental side of the sport when everything is going great and people can achieve kind of like this flow state or whatever they yeah. want to call it. That's not why we do it. We, we train the mental side for when things go sideways. We, we train the mental side where when there's a amount of, when there's a large amount of stress or there's a pressure filled moment that we can't get, because, you know, think about how many times, and even the athletes that are, that are listening in on this conversation, think about how many times you as an, you as an athlete have seen somebody who, They've done this one thing a thousand times, Uh but now you add on this layer of stress or this layer of added pressure and they can't get as much of that element of their sport out. They can't get as much of that physical, technical, tactical out when they need to. The mental side of the, and I'll recap. So the mental side of the sport is there. So that way, when you go into a competition that you're able to get the most out of all the physical and the technical and the tactical work that you've put in, because stress and pressure and adversity, they're going to try and diminish your performance. They're going to try and minimize the amount of those three things that you can get out, get out of in that moment. Uh, good and well articulated, you know, so it's, it's, it's more or less like the glue, you know, that holds all three together. So let's, let's assume that, you know, there's, so I think it's hurricane season you mm-hmm. know, in, in the U S and, you know, in some States and, you know, that thing is coming, trying to blow everything away. The mental game, you know, is what kind of like brings all of them together and ensures yeah. that, you know, that they stay where they are well articulated, yeah. you know, and it actually makes a lot of sense. And if that's the case, then of course, what it then means is that all those things that try to tear the physical, you know, the technical, the tactical apart, you should actually place more focus on. And one of the biggest things, like you just mentioned, is pressure. And you've mentioned it multiple times, you know, whilst we have been yeah. talking. Pressure in terms of athletes, you know, dealing yeah. with pressure. We, we, we see these elite athletes, right? Yeah. And we say, oh, they are under enormous amounts of pressure. I, as the up and coming athlete, I'm not mm-hmm. going to face any pressure. You know, I'm not, I mean, I'm just, I'm trying to get to the level that they are at. When I get there, you know, I would learn to deal with pressure. First and foremost, what do you say to athletes like that? Secondly, mm-hmm. if they eventually get to that point, because I doubt they will, if they don't start dealing with pressure now, how do they then deal with pressure at that point? So let's clarify this, right? Because I think there's a lot of, and I'm happy you brought this up because I think there's so much misconception or, mm. you know, just kind of misfiring in terms of thinking about pressure. Because I do think that there is this belief that only these athletes at the highest, highest of levels or the athletes that have air quote made it, mm. those are the only people that feel pressure. That's not true, right? There's a, there, right now there's an eight-year-old somewhere who's feeling an immense amount of pressure, Mm. right? There's a parent that woke up today that felt an immense amount of pressure at their job, some presentation, some sales call, because they need to be able to provide for their family. So Mm. pressure is not nearly as highly correlated or not nearly as dependent on your level of success. Because there are people who have felt an incredible amount of pressure that never make it to the upper echelons of sport because of the amount of pressure that they've been able to placed on put be placed under pressure. And again, we, we, I think everybody, you know, is very acutely aware of the effects of pressure. There's been a lot of conversations on how does pressure affect performance? How does pressure affect our body, our mind, things like that. Hasn't been nearly enough conversation on where does it come from in the first place? Mm. Why do people experience this phenomenon known as psychological pressure? And it's really very simple. We feel pressure as people 
Tola feels pressure. I feel pressure. An Olympic athlete feels pressure. An eight-year-old playing baseball feels pressure. Mm. When they feel as though their identity as a person has come under threat, when they feel like their identity as a person is threatened. Now we got to unpack that a little bit. So, okay. So in any person's identity, so Tola's identity is really made up of two things. It's the same two things that anybody's identity is made up of. Your identity is made up of how you perceive the world around you values you. And it's also made up of how you find value in yourself. Now, mm. sometimes obviously those two things are innately core or they're very intrinsically tied together, yeah. but that is where our identity as people come from. It comes from how do we perceive the world around us as well as ourselves the world around us finds value in us as well as how we find value in ourselves. So we will then, so when that identity or really when that worth as a person is threatened. So when you find yourself in a situation where depending on how well you do in this thing that has become so much of your identity, that has become so much of the value that you have to the world. When you find yourself in a situation where depending on the result of that situation, so depending on the result of that sales call, depending Mm. on the result of your performance at the Olympic games, depending on the result of your performance at a tryout or a showcase, depending on those results that you get or that those people get, they perceive as though that will directly impact the amount of value they have to their world around them, as well Mm. as maybe the amount of value that they have to themselves. That's pressure. Mm. Mm, good, good, good point. You know, so let me just in in, in layman's terms yep. to be sure that I, because I'm I'm also you know one of the athletes that is listening on this conversation. Yes, I'm the yep. interviewer, you know, but yep. I'm also listening as well. So from what I hear you say, what you're saying is that if there is ever a situation where an athlete feels pressure, it's always yep. usually down to two things. Now, obviously, I mean there are yep. variables here and there. You know, it can be subsets or whatever, but yep. it's usually down to two things how they think the world sees them and how they see themselves as well. You know, so as a result of that situation, as, as a, a result, result of, of how situation. they do. Yep. Fantastic. You know, so is there good pressure if that's the case? Because obviously, yeah. you know, in <clears throat> situations, we can't say everything is all bad. Is there right. good pressure? Yeah. And I think that's a great point. That's a great question to bring up because I think most people will hear that and then they will think to themselves, well, obviously then pressure is a bad thing. Mm. Pressure is inherently neither good nor bad. And, mm. and I think this is a very important point. And this is kind of what I teach my athletes is there's very little when it comes to your sport or the world that's like either good or bad, right? Generally, it's either productive or it's unproductive. Mm. So to be clear, we feel pressure, you know, we feel pressure to perform in certain situations. Maybe you feel pressure to perform well on a podcast or an Olympic athlete they, or an athlete feels pressure to perform well at their event. They feel pressure, obviously, because they care about what they do because, you know, it's meaningful and impactful mm. to their life. When their identity or when what they do becomes too much of who they are, becomes so much of who they are that they experience a level of pressure that's there's that just nobody can perform in the face of. Generally, that's a concept known as overinvestment. So yes, it's a great point to make in terms of 
I think it's not really about whether it's good pressure or bad pressure. It's really a matter of is the amount of pressure for you productive or is it unproductive? And really that all has to do with how much of this thing that you're doing has become who you are. Because if what you do becomes everything about who you are, every ounce and shred of value that you hold to the world, that's going to place you in a situation where you're going to feel so much pressure that it's going to be debilitating to your performance. If you feel a level of pressure to perform because you care about what you do, but you also recognize, obviously, because what you do has become a part of who you are, right? Like our work, your work, my work, it becomes a big part of who we are. But we also have other roles that we play in our life, right? I'm also a husband. I'm also a friend. I'm also somebody's son. I'm also, you know, I enjoy hobbies outside of what I do. And so while yes, I can feel pressure to perform in certain situations. Generally, we want to be able to get like where I'm at with it and where we want to be able to get athletes that I work with to is we want to be able to get them to a place where the pressure is really just a signal that, hey, this is something that's meaningful and that's impactful to your life. This is where you want to be. This is this is the work that you're, this is the event that you want to be in. This is the competition that you want to be participating in. Mm-hmm. And we can enter those moments caring about what we, about how we do and the outcome and the result, obviously, but we can also do that without thinking that the outcome or the result is going to completely debilitate the amount of value that we have to the world around us or the value that we have to ourselves. That at that point, then it has now become an unhealthy amount of pressure. Mm, amazing point and just as you mentioned that you know I'm, I'm thinking about i don't know how much of the ufc you watch you know i'm thinking immediately about ronda rousey you know so ronda yeah. rousey you know was this you know big bad baddest woman on the planet you know she was she was knocking people out amber you know 15 seconds 30 seconds first round you know and then she loses to holly home you know by yeah. head kick knockout you know, yep. um, you know, she sank into depression and all of that. And she was doing an interview where she was asked, you know, like, how was it handling that loss? How was <clears> it dealing with it, you know, in the build-up to her return fight with Amanda Nunez? You know, and she was like, her whole identity was wrapped in being the bantamweight champion <clears> of the world. So it ties into what yep. you're saying in the sense yep. that the minute she lost the title, she felt like she was nobody. So yep. in the build-up to the Amanda Nunez fight, there was so much pressure to reclaim that belt which yep. she had identified with for so long yep. that literally she went into that fight, <clears throat> fought Amanda Nunez's fight, and I think she lost in like 54 seconds, you know, something mm-hmm. like that. And that's the last we've seen of Ronda Rousey. So it ties perfectly, yep. you know, into what you're saying. What do you say to the athletes who put pressure on themselves? So you hear athletes that will say things like, nobody can put pressure on me. I mm. put pressure on myself. But at the right. same time, they're not able to deal with the pressure but they're saying yeah. they put pressure on themselves. What do you say to us like that? Yeah, I think I think it's interesting. I think you you really have to, and obviously I think that's going to be different for each individual well, athlete, but I think you really have to become acutely aware of what is the source of that pressure. Is mm. the pressure that you're putting on yourself because you love what you do, because you're truly doing it for yourself and how you think about you, or in Ronda Rousey's case, did you get a little bit too caught up in the fame? Did you get a little bit too caught up in the title and the, yeah. the everything else that goes into be, being Ronda Rousey, the fighter? Because what happened with Ron, Ronda Rousey is actually very similar to what happened to Simone Biles not a couple weeks ago is 
this idea of Ronda Rousey is probably guilty of forgetting that, you know, yes, she was the bantamweight champion of the world, but she also had all of these other roles in her life that just for Mm. her, she had lost sight of or lost the amount of value that she placed on those things. So then when the bantamweight title of the world was taken away from her, there was this deep sense of loss because there truly wasn't anything else in the world that she put her identity or that she put her value into. You fast forward to a couple of weeks ago, Simone Biles walks away. And I know that there was, there was an element of the twisties, which is basically the yips in, in gymnastics where yeah. you kind of lose sense of where you are in the air. And it's a, it's, it's a very complex thing. But there was also this element of, I saw a quote from her and the quote from her said something, I don't have it in front of me, but it said something to the effect of, I forgot that I was valuable to the people that were around me mm. more than just being Simone Biles, the gymnast. It was a quote to that effect where she essentially said, I lost sight of the fact that I hold more value to the people that I care about than this thing that I'm doing. And Mm -hmm. that's where I would say to the athlete is, are you putting that much pressure on yourself? Because that's where you think the world around you values you, whether you think it or whether you think they're putting it on you or you're putting it on you. Is it because you're trying to actualize or you're trying to make this, make this amount of value to the people around you come true? Is that where it's coming from? Because there's a really hard cap on the amount on on how well you're going to be able to do Mm. in your sport and how well you're going to be able to perform. So it's really just a matter of what's the source, where's that coming from? What are we either, either striving towards or running away from? And are we doing so in a healthy manner? Mm. Let's take a quick detour. I love that you mentioned Simone Biles. What's your take, you know, on, you know, that withdrawal from certain, you know, disciplines at the Olympic Games, you know, saying she was protecting her mental? Because to be quite honest, I've seen a lot of people who maybe the last time they played sports, you know, was when they were in high school or or maybe when they were five or when they were 10, you know, they, they, they never attempted to play sports professionally. They have never been in that situation where, you know, your, your head can actually be spinning from everything that is going on. What, what's your take on how we draw, you know, from yeah. these disciplines, quote and unquote, to protect our mental health? Yeah, man, that was such a, and I was even surprised. I mean, you always expect kind of the social media and kind of the internet trolls to like rear their ugly head based on anything, right? Like had she like gone out there and competed in spite of her mental health and failed, they would have ripped her, right? Mm. Had she withdrawn to protect herself, they were going to rip her. But I also think that, and I, like I did a video on this, but I also think it was fascinating because you're right. You do see so many people and I would hear basically this, well, if I feel off, I don't get to not go to work Work. (laughs) or, or something like, or, you know, when I was, when I was a kid and I was an athlete, I just kind of had to suck it up and get through it. Mm. (laughs) Well, here's the fundamental difference between Joe blow. Who's got to wake up and go work his blue collar job, which is nothing wrong with that. I've got two Mm -hmm. blue collar parents. I'm not taking a shot at blue collar workers, but I'm making a point here on there's a difference between Joe blow waking up and going in doing his blue collar job versus Simone Biles. If Joe blow goes and makes a mistake at work or has a bad day at work, yeah, his buddies at the at the at the job site might pick on him a little bit. His boss might give him a stern talking to, but that's about all that's going to happen. If Simone Biles goes out there and tanks, the world knows about it. And that's the difference. Mm-hmm. And and I think and, and so the fundamental difference there is the level of exposure yeah. that an individual such as that 
is placed under. And it's interesting because we've had, you know, even the weight in that weight of gold documentary, Michael Phelps speaks a little bit to it. And, you know, I think the other thing that I saw a lot on social media is, well, there's all these other athletes that they go out and they do that and they must be feeling this way, but they go out there and they, and they do what they have to do instead. Yes. But we also don't see what goes on behind the scenes for some of those athletes as well. You know, we'd also don't, you know, for a long, I mean, to be clear, you know, in the past five years, there's been so many athletes that have come out and spoken out about like the mental health challenges of being some of these super exposed, super high level athletes. To be clear, that didn't just start five years ago. That's always been a thing. That's always been a thing. But it's only now that we're actually starting to ask the question, is placing somebody's mind in such a state of vulnerability and such a state of exposure in a constant where they're constantly exposed to critique, evaluation, criticism, judgment, blah, 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 right? Uh Is is that, or we're finally asking the question, is that healthy? Uh And it's, it's, it's a, it's a big, long conversation, but I think that for anybody that said that my response to them and and what I said in the video is yes, but you have to understand that the fundamental difference between you and her is the level of exposure that she's under. And I would surmise, to be honest, I would say that her pulling out Uh in that moment Probably if you really think about it, if we think about that conversation on identity and how much what we do at times can become the source of value that we hold to the people around us and to our world, I would go as far as to say that her pulling away and pulling back from all of that value that she had to the world in order to take care of her was probably the most courageous thing that she could have done in that moment. Mm. And you, you know, the, 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 the thought that I have always had, you know, and I've always maintained this stance, you know, especially when this, you know, mental health issues have always been coming up, you know, and things like that is that look, first and foremost, sports and being an athlete, they're choices. And mm. it is a choice exclusively within the purview of that athlete. If it is not yep. your choice to make, you cannot complain about the athlete right. doing this. And, you know, just like you mentioned in terms of the exposure that Simon Biles had, what she actually initially did was that she just pulled out. But because yep. she's Simone Biles, everybody started asking questions. What's going on? Yep. Why did she pull? That's why she yep. had to come out to say, <clears throat> oh, it's because of my men. She just pulled out and she was like, hey, I'm not doing yep. this. Because people started asking questions. Now, what do you say to the athletes who they are mini Simone Biles? You know, so they're not at that level of Simone Biles, right? Yeah. Yeah. But their continued performance, their continued risk-taking, their, 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 their continued attempt to pursue mm. this thing is wrapped up in what other people, you know, are saying, yeah. you know, so for example, they yeah. want to take a break. Like, you know, yeah. I'm stressed <clears throat> out, you know, I, I need to take a break for about what, four weeks, two months, you know, just mm-hmm. to recruit myself. I'm not saying I'm not playing my sport again, but they feel like, oh, this person is going to say this. Oh, my parents are going to think this. Oh, my teammates are going to think this. What do you say to athletes like that? Man, I would say that you have to choose you because mm. there's like you have to choose yourself and it's going to come off as selfish and that's okay. And you're probably going to get criticized and that's okay. But if you're taking an objective look at yourself and you're, and there's even a bit of you that's like, man, I'm not okay right now. And I think obviously this pertains a little bit more to athletes that maybe that are older, that are mm. kind of out there on their own. 
I think you got to take a look at your, you, you, you have to protect you because in, in the world of sport for, for better or for worse, athletes interests aren't always in the most in it held in the highest regard. Yeah. Generally there's always the organization's interests or the, the, comp, the, the committee's interests or whatever it is. So you've got to put your interests um, above yourself. I think for any parent that's listening to this, that has a younger athlete, I think the thing that you need to be acutely aware of is, are you constantly scanning as a parent for how much of what my child is doing has become who they are, has become the amount of value? Because we're seeing this at younger and younger ages, athletes who they're specializing in their sport far too young and they're traveling and we're seeing overuse injuries and we're seeing the psychological tolls on that. And I think parents at times, at least the ones that I meet, you know, they, they, they have an athlete, they have a young athlete who's remarkably, remarkably talented and the Mm -hmm. parents have the means to be able to support that athlete in all the ways. And so they do, and they throw all these resources at that athlete in their role as an athlete. Mm -hmm. And I think what happens at times is nobody's taking a step back and saying, you know, is this necessarily a good thing that every conversation we have with our child, they're all, the entirety of their friend group, the entirety of the, the impactful people they have in their life in the form of their coaches, all their time, energy, we're pouring a lot of money into this. When grandpa and grandma come over for a holiday dinner, they're talking to our child yeah. about their sport. <laughs> nobody's taking a step, you know, not nearly enough people are taking a step back and saying, is this a healthy process? And Mm. I'm I'm here to tell you that many times that's not, you know. Mm. Uh, Good good one. You you just kind of like dovetailed, you know, into that parenting aspect, you know, because obviously one of the reasons why I started working with parents as well, you know, off the back of what I do is I realized that from working with so many athletes, especially on the African continent, now obviously I work with athletes yeah. in Europe and in the US as well, but sure. mostly mo- mostly African, you notice that a lot of damage has been done by the kind of, um, of guidance that sure. they had, so to speak. Like it, it would have been sure. so much easier to work with that athlete if they had better mentors, sure. if they had a better yeah. guidance process. So I was like, okay, look, how do we solve this, right? You then go back, and you start working with those parents. So at least the guys or the athletes that are coming through after the crop that we have now, you know, they're better informed, you know, and all of that. How can parents, you know, and of course, speaking as a parent myself, so I recently yeah. started taking my daughter, my, my daughter to tennis practice. How old is your daughter? She's, uh, she's going to be four in December. Oh, that's a fun age. That's a yeah. fun age. You know, yeah. so she absolutely loves it. She wants to practice every single time. But yep. I always have to be conscious myself that, hey, yeah. Don't forget, don't forget, right? Yep, yep. How do you advise parents in terms of preparing their children, you know, for success in sports, tips on how they can properly go through this process? Yeah, no, I mean, I, you and I share um, a very similar line of thinking because I, I work with so many developing athletes as well. And obviously a lot of the, a lot of the work is really centered, you know, as also being a resource with the parents. And that's actually how I set up like my, my one-on-one coaching with the athlete is there's a a component of that where we have regular dialogue with the parents in terms of here's what we need to be reinforcing. Here's what we need to be doing more of. Um, I would say, you know, just at a very high level, um, 
that identity piece is critical. That identity, and I know we've touched on it a ton at this point, but I think just specific tools and tactics for parents when it comes to making sure that their child doesn't experience that overinvestment, that what they uh, do is be, has become too much of who they are. I think it really, I think at times, you know, and even you with your daughter is, you know, she very well could love her sport and love tennis. And if she's going out there for the right reasons, and, and you as a parent, you kind of got to gauge this. If she's going out there for the right reason, she wants to be out there. Let her go play. Yeah. Let her go play. But I think there, I think it's twofold, right? I think there's going to be some parents that are going to have an athlete that kind of creates that overinvestment for themselves. Like this is, you know, this is that, you know, this is just the thing that I want to do. I want to do it all the time. This is the only mm. thing I want to think about, yada, yada, yada. And I think for those parents, at times it's it's your job in that situation to remind the child, support them certainly, but remind yeah. the child that, you know, you are valued in other ways as well, you know, and that you do hold value because that's not going to take their motivation away. Mm. That's not going to, it's not going to assault on their identity. It's just going to remind them that this is why we do things. This is through the lens that we want to be able to be approaching these things. These are the reasons why we should mm. want to be do want to be doing these things. And I think, you know, there, there can be some signs too, where, you know, the child has, it, maybe there's a shift that takes place where the child is now doing things because of what their parents think or of what they, what they, you know, what the people around them might think. And at that point, then, then we need to be able to take a step back and, and really do some of that work. So I think that identity piece is critical. I think it's remarkably important in young athletes to talk about accountability um, specifically what are they accountable to and what, um, and also what are they not accountable to? And I think, again, you'll get athletes who really struggle with accountability in that nothing's my fault. Everything is everybody else's fault. We're going to make excuses. Mm -hmm. And those are just really simple mindsets to be on the lookout for. Yeah. I also think you're going to have on the other end of the spectrum where you're going to have some athletes that maybe they hold themselves accountable too much. Mm -hmm. They hold themselves accountable to how their team does or how well mm -hmm. they perform or whatever it may be. When in fact, for those individuals, they need to be taught that the only thing that you can control is yourself. Yeah. You can't control your teammates or the other team or the calls that the official makes or really even the results that you get. Mm -hmm. The only thing that you can control is yourself. And so I think those two kind of core principles of let's make sure that we're developing just high, you know, and again, the work that I do, I don't, I don't even call what I do, like work with athletes. Like I, I work with developing people mm. who also just happen sure. to play a sport. And that's the way that I approach it because, you know, if you don't, you're really just, you know, because the stuff that we teach is so much, so much more applicable to stuff just outside of their sport. Right. Mm. And, and so I think that identity piece is critical. I, I think teaching them, you know, what authentic accountability actually looks like, what a healthy level of accountability actually looks like. Um, and then I think it really goes back to, you know, as a parent trying to navigate, you know, are we doing things to fuel all four areas of athletic development? Because uh -huh. I, I, like I said, you know, like we talked about before, it's not just the athletes that get caught up in those first three. It's yeah. also the parents that, you know, and, and to this day, I still have athletes that, they only come to me, you know, in the seven years that I've been doing this, mm -hmm. I've had two athletes come to me just because they wanted to make an investment in the mental side of their sport. Mm -hmm. Every other person that's come to me is coming, is coming to me because now they have a problem. Yeah. Now they're struggling. Now they're having a hard time dealing with pressure. They're struggling with confidence. And I think, mm -hmm. I, man, I I'm telling you, I would love to see the day where, and I'm hoping it's right around the corner. I mm -hmm. would love to see the day where, 
the mental side is not just something that that is looked at retroactively mm. when there's a problem, but it's actually an area that maybe we make an investment in. Because that's why I got into working with developing athletes is the theory is if you can give these young people the tools and the techniques and the tactics to deal with stress and pressure and adversity at a younger age, mm-hmm. well, then they're going to be much better equipped for when you know the lights really do come on and yeah. are, they are really in those situations. I just haven't seen it yet. And I hope one day that we do. I know I saw you, I saw you crack up quite a bit at that. Yeah. One, yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah, sure yeah, that's yeah, your experience right. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. You know, it's, it's when there's fire on the mountain, right. That's when you see them running. And I'm like, you could, you could literally have started working on this thing before, you know, it yeah. became a problem, but you mentioned something yeah. key, you know, and this is where your expertise comes in Jay. Now you're going to have the parents and, and this is, this yeah. is real life example, right? They're going to have the parents <clears> who, they want their children to play sports, right? And, yeah. and, and that's where it starts from. But they come to you and they want that guidance in how to properly articulate that. And you see, one of the things that I always say, you know, you hear, you hear a lot of quote and unquote experts. And of course, I'm not bashing anybody or anything like that. Everybody's learning and everybody, you know, is trying to go. You hear them say things like, you know, it, it has to be fun for the children. You know, don't force them. You know, do this, do that all centered around fun. You know, one of the things that I always say, you know, is that, look, as parents, naturally, we want the best for our children. Mm-hmm. There's a reason we send them to the best schools, right? It's so that they get right. the best education, so that they get the best influences. At that point in time, you're not necessarily saying you're forcing them to go to the best schools, right? Mm-hmm. It's because of what you want. How does a parent in that space come into you, right? I want my child to play sports, but I don't want to do it the wrong way. What's your advice? Yeah. I mean, the, the follow-up question is obviously, what does your child want to do? You mm. know, do they have an interest in sport? And I think, you know, we can want, you know, and uh, you know, there's probably, you know, parents who, you know, they have a child who's remarkably athletically gifted and, you know, maybe they think that, and then you'll see this a lot, right? Like kind of the, the future prophesizing that sort of thing. They think mm. that their child has a, has a future, whether it's an athletic scholarship or whatever it may be. But I think the thing with parents is that, you know, you really have to understand that this, the world of sport is getting that much more competitive mm. and it's getting competitive at a younger and younger age. So while you might want your child to be an athlete, if they don't want it, it doesn't really matter what you want, you know, like mm. you're not really the hero um, of this story. And I think just, just from a standpoint of, you know, it, division one scholarship, athletic scholarships are getting more and more competitive, yeah. you know, and in the amount of time and energy and resources. And I think what you, what you see is when you have a parent who wants something more, I think it, 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 this is a good point too. I think, you know, anytime you want something more for somebody than they want it for themselves, you're really just swimming upstream and <laughs> it's just never going to end well. Right. I mean, if I want something for my clients and this is something I had to learn very early on, like I, I can't want this for my clients more mm. than they want it for themselves. You as a parent can't want athletic success for your child more than they want it for themselves because just the world of sport and what it takes to actually get any sort of return, mm. you know, if we're thinking true dollar and cents wise, any sort of return on, on that entire investment, it's just, it's going to chew up and spit out anybody that's half-hearted, that doesn't want to be there. And, and you probably shouldn't even enter it in the first place. And I think the other consideration that you need to take as a parent is, what's the effect that that's going to have on your relationship with 
to your child mm. because essentially what you're telling your child is whether whether it's true or not or what you know this is going to sound kind of harsh but if you're going to take that approach you're essentially telling your child to me you're valuable if you play a sport mm. and that's that's going to create a lot of dysfunction that's going to create some long-term impacts on the, in terms of the way your child perceives their value to you or how, you know, it's just, it's going to get ugly pretty quick. And so you might want it as a parent. Um, and here's the thing, I think, you know, let's say the, the child is very young and they're eight, nine, 10, and you see some athletic gifts, that sort of thing. Um, and you want them to explore those, I think then why don't you put them into some sports, try out mm. some different sports. They're going to make some friends. They're going to get some social benefits. Um, and then yeah. it's going to give them, but you have to make sure that you're kind of, you're on truly on the sidelines. Like you're not, you know, the, the parent that's trying to force things that's trying to push them in a way. But it's like you said, with the school thing, put them in the environment, see how they do. If it's very clear that they don't have an interest in it, well, then you can't force it. But mm. that would be my advice is, you know, you never, as a parent, you can want something as bad as you want for your child, but if they don't want it for themselves, that's just going to end very, very poorly years down the road. I mean, that has mm. lifelong ramifications for the impact for that, for that relationship between parent and child. If you see athletic gifts in your child, and you want them to explore that, well, then as a kid say, you know, Hey, let's go try this out. Let's go try this out. And if they go to the soccer game and they're on the other end of the field and they're picking flowers or doing mm. whatever it is that they're doing, or they have other interests, well, then th there's your sign, right? There's, there's a very clear path forward for what they're interested in, what they're not interested in and that sort of thing. Because odds are, if they were going to be a high, a, a very successful athlete, or if you mm. wanted them to be a very successful athlete, odds are they have the opportunity to be very successful in another area as well. And if it's, if it actually aligns with something that they're interested in, like math or science or whatever it may be, then they're going to have much more success going down that path, a path that's, you know, truly more autonomous to mm. them. And that's more fulfilling to them than something that's being placed on them. Mm. What, what do you say to those who idolize or maybe have studied the Tiger Woods model? Now, of course, just to just, just to clarify, mm -hmm. so th there are a lot of people who know me, you know, my sporting background and everything. Yeah. And you know, when they saw my daughter started playing tennis, right? You know, they they were dead setting that I was forcing her to play tennis, and I was like, "Come on, of course, of course, I know better. She would never do anything right. that right. she doesn't want to do." So just to just to clarify <clears throat> and put that out there, right? Yep. What do you say to those? who idolize that Tiger Woods model in the sense that before the child, right, has that ability or understanding of choice, you kind right. of, you kind of immerse them, yeah. right, into that sport to the point that it's more or less the only thing they know by the time they're hitting seven, eight, nine, ten, or thereabouts. What do you say mm -hmm. to parents? Obviously, because we know how that turned out, because it <clears throat> turned out to yeah. be a disaster, you know, because mm -hmm. the guy kind of like broke down and everything just went downhill from there. What do you say to parents who idolize that model? Well, that would be my athlete. Look at the product of that model. Look mm. at the, like, yes, Tiger Wood had a lot of success in sport. He, he accomplished everything financially. He is very much in a place where his kids, his kids, his kids, his kids won't mm. probably won't, wouldn't have to work that sort of thing. And yes, he became a great golfer. What else happened though? 
Mm. You know, what, you know, and you think about some of the issues that he had, like in his personal life and yeah. some of the other issues that, that came to pass because of that. And there's a, oh, what is the guy's name? I want to say it's Brian Bosworth, but it's not. There's a story, there's a Netflix, there's like a Netflix documentary on him. Basically, college football quarterback. He was blonde. His dad just like basically tied him to a football mm. field. Wow. And, um, he be- ended up, you know, he was incredibly talented, like as a quarterback, but he also battled substance abuse and issues like mm. his entire life. And so that's where I'm saying, like, yes, you can look at the Tiger Woods's or somebody listening to this is screaming the name because they know yeah. the story. <laughs> um, for the life of me, I cannot think of it, but yes, you can look at that Tiger Woods model or you can look at, you know, there's a, an, another great example is that the Netflix show where it's all like the little tykes and they're all out golfing, but their parents are just super crazy about it. And they're just screaming at them based on like how well they do. And you can mm-hmm. tell the kids they're not even really that into the game of golf, yeah. that sort of thing. Anyway, to, to wrap this up here, my point with the Tiger Woods model, basically the model of a parent not giving the child a a choice and just installing that Mm. into there is every single time we've seen that model. Yes. Some of them go on to have a high (laughs) level of success in their sport. Some of them, yeah. Some of them also like, you know, burn out of their sport or never even make it to a level. Almost all of them will struggle with some severe mental issues Mm. later on in life. Mm. or or that relationship will be permanently strained or damaged in some way shape or form mm. Mm. so perfect 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 point you <clears throat> make you know because everyone only focuses on that success oh yeah. it was you know he won how many majors 15 majors you know hundreds of millions of dollars but you don't look yep. at the effects you know on that personal and yep. you know and the final point on this jay you know so that i can i can let you go because i'm, I'm kind of enjoying the conversation and you know the time has just flown Same. by likewise man yeah the, the time has just flown by now you have those children right who they just need a little nudge right yeah. it's not like they don't want to play it's not necessarily like they want to play but but you see the potential you know just like you mentioned you see the potential for them to be good at it but right. all they need is a little nudge, you know, you know, you know, yeah. that encouragement, that push. How does a parent balance that in the sense that you don't want to be forceful on one hand that, hey, play, you can yeah. be better, you can be better. But at the same time, you know that if you nudge them a little bit, yep. that potential is there. Yeah. So real quickly, and we'll run through this because I think the the thing that you leverage is the psychological theory that surrounds human motivation. Like mm. basically self-determination theory is the theory of motivation. It's, it's, it's one of the most proven, most effective theories on why people do what they do. Now, generally there are three, basically three psychological needs or three boxes that need to be checked in order for somebody to be highly motivated Mm. in order to do something. The first one is autonomous. Now, autonomy, most people will think that, well, that means that they decide every Mm. aspect of what they do. Not necessarily. Autonomy merely means the ability to go from the version of yourself that you are to the version of yourself that you want to be. So for example, Mm. somebody that wants to lose weight, um, it doesn't really matter if they come up with a workout program or if somebody else comes up with a workout program for them, as long as they feel like this program is going to move them from the version of themselves that they are to the version of themselves that they want to be, they will Mm. then be motivated to do that. So the way that parents can leverage that is to really ask this, you know, start to have conversations around the child of, you know, what version of yourself that do you really want to be here? What is it that you want to strive for? Even if it's vague, even if it's general, 
doesn't really matter. Just like what, what version of yourself that you want to work at, or is there something about your sport that you'd like to be better at? We'll get to that mm-hmm. in a second, but that you'd like to be better at. Well, here's a simple step that you could do. That's going to allow you to be this version of yourself in this activity. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's the first, that's the first driver. The second driver is competence, which basically is saying that we don't like to do things that we feel like we suck at yeah. or that we feel like we're not good <laughs> at. So it very well could be for the child that even though you see a lot of talent in them based on the way they talk to themselves or the way they attribute failure, they actually don't see that. They exactly. don't see them. They don't see it as like, this is something that I, that I am good at, or that mm. I could be really good at. And they might just need that, that picture painted for them, whether it's through a story or a real life or an example of like a professional athlete, whatever it may be. If you can make somebody feel as though they're good at something, odds are they're going to be more inclined to do more of that thing. Mm. Okay. Then the last piece is relatedness. We mm. like to do things that foster connection. Humans are social beings. We love connection. Odds are we are going to be, this is why group fitness classes work because right. or CrossFit has really become like the rage over here because you're doing it with a group of people and you're forming strong connections with those people around you. So for a parent, if you think that there might be just a small little mini itty bitty nudge that your child needs, or that there's something holding them back from being super motivated here, odds are it's either because they don't understand how this doing this thing could help them become who they want to be, or they don't understand who they want to be yet. Or they, they're not doing something because they don't feel like they're very good at it. And they don't want to look like a dodo bird in front of their friends. Right. Or they just, they, they, there's not a ton of human connection within that. There's not a friend group around that. This is why, you know, kids over here, they'd much rather go play Fortnite than they would like mm-hmm. go shoot hockey pucks at a net yeah. in the garage, right? Because Fortnite's where all their buddies are yeah, and there's that? just yeah. cockroaches in the garage, right? So, you know, for, you know, all humor aside, generally one of those three things will, <clears throat> is holding or the lack of one of those three needs being fulfilled is holding your child back in some way, shape or form. Wow. That, 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 that ties this up in a nice bow, like, like makes a lot of sense, especially from that parent who is listening, because, you know, I think it was last week, right? So I, I met a parent on the tennis court who had also brought his daughter, you know, to play tennis. And, and I think she was about four or, or over the age of four, you know, and obviously mm-hmm. every opportunity that I get, you know, to engage, to teach, you know, I, I always take it, you know, and I approached the dad and I was like, how is it going? How is practice going? I was like, Hey, she's doing well. She's this, you know, and I asked him and I said, you know, what's the plan, you know? And immediately he said, the plan is hopefully for her to go pro, you know, <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, and, and obviously I, I had to stop him and I had to pause in the conversation, right. you know, right. and I was like, how is that going? Is right. it your plan for her right. to go pro or is it her plan? You know, and of course he admits and he says, you know, it, it's my plan for her to go pro right. and all of that. And I'm like, you're making a massive <clears throat> mistake because trust me, right. every right. potential and everything you think you are building, you know, yep. is, is absolutely going to get destroyed. And of course he, and of course I'll, I'll get your thoughts on this as well. You know, it now comes to the point where he's trying to defend his decision, you know, in terms right. of, Right. You know, pushing her, wanting her to go pro, you know, and he says one of his friends, right, advised him and told him to look at it with the school analogy in the sense that if we want our children to go to school, we don't look at it as forcing them to go to school. We look at it as, you know, wanting a better life for them. But when we want them to play sports, people say it's forcing, you know, and I had to quickly educate him. And I said, look, that's completely different. Going Mm -hmm. to school is like the barest minimum. 
is like for a better right. life. It's like to get the And there's still a lot of choices within school. You exactly. Know? That's what I said. I said, look, the problem is when you say go to school to study this particular course, go mm. to school to become a lawyer, go to school to yep. become a doctor. That's where there's a problem. And I'm like, that's right. what you're doing with sports. You right. want her to play tennis, which is removing that choice element because you're giving her the finished article. What's yep. your thought on that? My thought, I'm very much in line with, with you. My thought to that would be, especially parents who have very athletically gifted um, children, mm. I would remind them that right now they're great athletes. So you're 8, 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old. They're very athletic. You're trying to pigeonhole them mm. into being a tennis player. Well, who said that? Who says that? Who ought to, who makes you all of a sudden the, the reigning authority on what, you know, that her talent and that her athleticism needs to be a tennis player? Mm. What if she's great at soccer? What if she's great at another sport, but you're not going to allow her to explore those gifts and you're just going to train her probably far mm. too young as a tennis player. Whereas yeah. we know that playing other sports or allowing them to explore other sports, a, they're not going to get sick and tired of playing this yeah. one thing, right? Going they don't want to just study to be a lawyer. They don't mm. want to just do math homework for the rest of their life, allowing them to allowing her to play soccer, allowing her to play basketball, allowing her to play volleyball, the other sports of that nature, whatever is available to them, even rugby, right? Mm. Allowing her to do those things is also think about maybe she does end up being a tennis player and you were right all along, but don't you think that she's going to be that much more of a tennis player, uh, that much better of a tennis player when she has the endurance of a soccer player and she has the explosiveness of a football and a volleyball player. Mm. And then she still has all the technical skills of a tennis player. We need to start thinking about these athletes as truly athletes. They're athletes first, and they're just choosing to direct that athleticism in this case to a certain sport, Mm. but let's not lose sight of the fact that we still need to develop their ability to be athletic. Mm. Mm. Uh, good point. You know, and, and, and I think, you know, that, 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 that makes it more intentional, especially for the parents mm-hmm. who are listening in the sense that, look, this is how you can approach it. You know, now mm-hmm. um, we've talked about so many things, Jay. We've talked about, especially yeah. for the athletes, so we'll, we'll, we'll do this in two parts, right? For the athletes and for the parents, right? Yeah. We've talked about, you know, pressure. We've talked about the mental game. We talked about the four things, you know, of athletic development. We, we, we covered so much. What you say to the athlete who is listening to us now, you know, and says, Jay, you know, I need one thing that I can start with. I've heard all the things yep. that you and Tola have talked about, you know, yep. how you've broken down so many things, you know, identity, you yeah. know, dealing with pressure, all of those things. I need one thing yep. that I can start that gets me a step closer to my goal. So it doesn't have to get yep. me to the goal, just gets yep. me a step closer to my goal. What would that one thing be? Well, I don't mean to like have a shameless plug here, but I hope you, I hope you're okay with it. But mm. I, I, I've got a free guide over on my website, trainwithperk.com slash free guide. There's a free guide that says it's got, it contains three easy to install things, some of which we've actually talked about today, but mm-hmm. actual tools and exercises to help the person kind of explore that um, and go through that. It's a 10 minute read, takes a little bit longer to do the exercise, but again, it's trainwithperk, perk is P-E-R-C dot com slash free guide. That's especially on the mental side. I think, you know, we could talk about something super high level and then they're going to be like, well, where am I going to find that at? Right. <laughs> well, here's a resource to at least get them kind of going down that direction. If they get over the website, as you, you know, so kindly referenced, I've got a YouTube channel that I'll have plenty of other stuff on over there first, but just something super tactical and super mm. practical that they can use train with perk perc.com slash free guide 
that'd be a great place for them to start. Uh, fantastic. So obviously I'm going to repeat that, you know, just <clears throat> at the end, but for the parents who are listening, what's one yeah. thing, you know, that they can do makes them be better sports parents, you know, yeah. tutors them or guides yeah. them to the path of starting to do things right as relates yeah. to their children. Just start with the question. Um, mm. How much of what my child is doing has become too much of who they are. Mm. And, and if you ask, ask that question and things start popping up, like, wow, they really seem to care a lot about what I think, or they're looking for my gratitude and approval of my performance, or they're really hard on themselves emotionally or whatever it is. If we start to see some of these just little things that, you know, they're the tremendous lack of confidence, mm. or they're having a hard time with pressure or dealing with their emotions. Those are all signs that there's something a little bit bigger at play and that they could probably stand to gain from it's probably time to start, whether it's with Tola or with someplace online, probably a place to start, you know, investing in them in the mental side of their sport. But I think the question is, you know, the first question is, has has what my athlete is is doing, has it become too much of who they are? Mm-hmm. And if it were, if it were to have become too much of there, what would some of those signs and symptoms be? And I think parents intuitively would be able to pick up on some of that stuff. Uh, Great point. Start with those questions. Start with that conversation. Don't just assume, you know, that everything is the way it is supposed to be. Uh, That's that's perfect. Now, the reason I named the podcast Athlete Maestro J is because I wanted to help athletes master their craft of being an athlete. Now, obviously, I mean, we know that, look, the path of mastery, it's such a long one. And, you know, you, you ultimately, quote unquote, if you are being honest, can never really be a master. But at least it yeah. pays to try. It pays to attempt yeah. it, you know, and to push down that part. What, in your estimation, does it mean to be a master of your craft? I think, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've, you've, you're familiar with the book, but I believe it's Leonard, George Leonard, that wrote the book Mastery. Mm. And what it really means to, to master something is under, uh, is, is to understand that like, you're never really done learning, that you're never mm. really done learning and growing. And I think if you, it's a tremendous book and it's, it might be a little bit, a little bit kind of in the clouds for like a youth athlete to read, but a high schooler certainly could pick it up. And, and I think it's something that parents could really benefit from as well. But, you know, we, at least in our world over here in the West is we really like to put like a result or an outcome or like an end destination point on anything that we do. Right. Mm. I think the real essence of mastery is understanding that there's always going to be a little bit more that you can learn. And if you let go of the need to achieve a certain destination, then it's really, truly powerful how much you can learn and how much you can grow as a person. Mm, fantastic. Can you give us the name of the book again, just to get it? I think it's just called, it's just called Mas- Mastery. Oh, it's Mastery, The Keys to Success and Long-Term Fulfillment by George Leonard. Leonard is spelled L-E-O-N-A-R-D. Oh, fa- yeah. fa- fantastic. That Thank is a you fantastic, s- fantastic book on the whole concept of mastery. Uh, fa- fantastic. Thank you so <clears throat> much, Jay, you know, for everything that I've said. And of course, don't forget, guys, trainwithperk.com forward slash free guys. So that's P-E-R-C, train with perk dot com forward slash free guy tell us where else we can find you your youtube channel on social media you know and yep. how we can follow you connect with you and of course if anyone has any yep. questions how they can reach out to you yeah everything i mean you can you can find everything over there at train with perk perc.com um all the socials are at train with perk on facebook and in linked or facebook and instagram uh but yeah just get, get over there grab that free guide um you'll see there's a blog with all the youtube videos on it you'll see everything else right over there so easy to find now yeah, fantastic and of course i'm going to put all of that in the show notes as well thank you so much for coming on jay if there's anything i've seen 
in the time that I've been doing this, being involved in sports, you know, coaching athletes, the sports law angle as well, is that, you know, you don't find a lot of people. And I'm, I mean, I'm not saying this to, to hype you up or anything. You don't find a lot of people who can properly explain this. You know, I once asked mm. the guest on the podcast, I was like, you know, why is it that there are more people that are teaching mental performance to athletes and all of that? And it's like, because a lot of people don't understand it themselves. You know, yeah. So you find yeah. it difficult for yeah. them to then explain to other people. So anytime I find people, right, you know, and I, like I said, I'm not missing words, you know, who can explain these things, who can break it down. You know, it's always a joy, you know, for me in the sense that like, wow, because even me listening to it, you know, makes a lot of sense. So thank you so much for all the work that you do, how you articulate, how you make it simple, you know, for mm. the athletes to understand, you know, and of course, just basically everything that you do. Well, I appreciate it, man. I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk with your people. Um, hope they got a lot of value. And if there's something that, you know, that we didn't touch on that they'd love us to deep dive, I'd, I'd come back anytime, man. I really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, fantastic. Thank you so much, Jay. Now, I'm sure one of the things you agree with me is that Jay talks smoothly, you know, so he's very composed. And of course, when you're teaching the mental game to young athletes, established athletes, when you've worked in an Olympic center, you know, that kind of comes with the territory. But you can see what I was saying in the sense that when we are talking about so many of all these things, very rarely do we link it to our identity. So now that you know the role that your identity plays in a lot of these things, building self-awareness, dealing with pressure and the likes, now you are properly equipped to go out there and begin to knock things out of the park now of course it's not going to happen in one day it's not going to happen in one month but you now have the tools in your arsenal to go out there and begin to make that difference in your own career and of course do not forget to check out jay's free guide is magnanimous enough to give us that free guide trainwithperk.com forward slash free guide trainwithperk.com forward slash free guide and of course remember perk is p-e-r-c and of course you can follow jay as well on instagram show him some love if you have any questions whatsoever send me a mail tola at athletemaestro.com i'll be sure to forward your emails to jay in terms of the questions that you guys have regarding this episode if you haven't subscribed to the podcast you haven't left us a rating and review what are you waiting for so that you don't miss great episodes like this with guys who are established in the sports world and can help you specifically with the struggles that you have. So head over to athletemaestro.com forward slash subscribe. You learn how to subscribe. Of course, you'd also learn how to leave that rating and review. So if you haven't left a rating and review before, now that you've heard this episode with Jay, it's a perfect time for you to give us feedback in terms of what you're learning, how this podcast has been benefiting you, and how it's taking you a step closer the goals you want to achieve in sports don't forget athletemaestro.com forward slash subscribe and of course do not forget to get your hands on the athlete maestro daily planner athletemaestro.com forward slash daily planner if you have any questions whatsoever send me a mail tola at athletemaestro.com tola at athletemaestro.com i'll catch you guys on the next episode of the show remember knowing is not enough you must apply willing it's not enough. You must do. I want you to go out there, apply all the things you've learned from Jay Tough today. I want you to go out there and I want you to be a maestro today and every single day. <laughs>